and cybersecurity experts Brian Horning, Reginald Andre, and Randy Bryan. Yeah. It's like the it's like uh what was that? What was that? Uh a senior hall? Yes, that's it. Yes, the Arsenio wow. Hall. That, that's the we stole his crowd. We stole yeah. his audience. <laughs> So welcome to another uh, week of the Security Squawk podcast. We are coming to you early in the day. We had to move uh, the recording and the broadcast around due to our schedules this week. Um, and we got a lot to talk about, of course. We have uh, phishing scams, CISA yelling at everybody or just telling everybody they got to do this stuff better. We're going to get into that. Um, pharmaceutical industry, they kind of, had their targets set on them for some reason very quickly by cyber criminals uh, in the last several weeks. Really, that industry has not really been one of the industries who's been highly targeted, and now the tables are turning there. Um, so, and that, and and you know, we talk about municipal governments, we talk about schools, we talk about um, healthcare, hospitals getting hit. Uh, we had a hospital actually go out of business this week because of a ransomware attack that occurred in 2021. Uh, Move It is causing a lot of problems for people. I didn't realize this many people use this tool called Move It, but it has a vulnerability and hackers are jumping all over it to wreck businesses days. I mean, the amount of attacks that have happened because of Move It is mind blowing to me. Um <clears throat> And uh, I'll just mention, you know, quite frankly, I did some research this week. Uh, I forget what it was. Uh, oh, yeah, it was. Um, um, geez, I don't even remember what it was. Oh, it was. A, it was. A, oh, guys, how about this one? We got to talk about this. And I'm going to talk about it right on the show. It's not one of the things that we have listed uh, on our sheet. But are you guys aware of this Barracuda um, um, uh, email gateway issue yes. that happened yes. last week. I mean, we need to talk about this, right? Um, <clears throat> I did a quick search in Shodan and I found myself in my quick search, which means like I didn't spend much time looking. And if I actually use some different parameters and stuff, I could probably find more of these devices. But there were like six, almost uh, 6,600 Barracuda devices online exposed that had this vulnerability that was discovered that allow attackers to basically take control of your network. Um, and it's, these devices sit inside of businesses' networks and they, and they filter spam. So, and uh, <clears throat> you may have one of these devices in your network and not know it. One of, I'll be quite frank, one of the searches I found, the second entry was a Cox Health uh, network that we saw this device Oops. sitting on, which means <laughs> that they can get hacked. Um, and the advice from Barracuda was shut these devices down. We aren't fixing them. Right. So you got to rip this infrastructure out of your network because that's what the manufacturer is saying, because they are not fixing this problem. And it's believed by security researchers that this particular firmware and software that is impacted, <clears throat> there's a good chance that it runs on other Barracuda devices. So Thoughts on this, guys? Are you guys impacted by this at all? Um, I, don't, I don't. Go ahead. We don't. No, yeah, we don't have any Barracudas. But Brian, um, why aren't they willing to fix it? 
I guess it's a business decision. The same reason that Rackspace decided to walk away from hosted exchanges. Okay. They're not okay. fixable mm-hmm. or it would take them too much to fix it. Um, but the other side of it is, is <clears throat> this is the old school way right. of doing IT, right? This is a device that typically would sit in front of an exchange server in most cases. Like you would not really have a need for this device unless you have your own email server sitting in your environment, right? right. Um, if it's in the cloud, you're probably using a cloud-based service, service, and that would be what I would suspect here, that this was very much a business decision because Barracuda has a cloud-based email threat protection product and I guarantee you that they want to push people to that versus try to fix this problem, which is the same thing we saw with Rackspace. They were like, look, we offer M365 as a service. Why are we going to spend time and energy bringing this basically legacy service back up and running? Um, we're just going to kill it off and we're going to let people uh go move to another company another service or hopefully they'll stay with us and go with the other service that we recommend which with Rackspace, i would venture to say that the majority of they probably retained maybe 20 30 percent of their customers but i would say 70 percent of their customers fled for another provider and just didn't want to deal with Rackspace anymore just based based on the way they handled it Mm -hmm. i see a very similar thing being uh here with with barracuda so i want to ask you guys like this is two big companies that we've seen handle a a a issue this way is this ethical and responsible in your opinion it's, um it's a little deeper than that it sounds like once they're hacked they're they're borked so right. like with the exchange, the exchange server, if it's hacked, you got to wipe it and reload it or move to a different service. Apparently, maybe that's not uh, maybe that's not a thing you can do with the Barracuda. So they have patched it. Um, they've put out a patch. And once it's patched, it's no longer vulnerable. But if it's already been if it's already been compromised, and it's already been breached. They say you have to throw them away. And that's every generation of. But the reality of it is, is most the average customer that has these out there is not going to be able to tell whether it's been breached or not. So you have to assume breach. So that's why they're saying probably right on that. Probably right on that. I don't know if there's a way to uh, to tell. Um, I can dig a little deeper and see if they've put out, you know, a script to tell or something like that. But wow. Yeah. Still a big deal regardless. But I mean, going back to what I just asked, like companies handling things this way do you think this is okay do you think like hey there's no regulation on this right now so we're just going to handle it this way i got to imagine that our government's going to step in and say big tech companies you can't walk away from services that you offer to businesses because you got breached yeah it's definitely not fair i mean when whoever's using this has to be big enterprise you're not having a small business with a local exchange server and a barracuda um you know that is that is a good point too i mean there probably are some small businesses but you're right the majority are going to have sizable companies right so now that just goes back to end of life like was barracuda on its way out to say hey by 2025 we're going to be getting rid of this anyways and maybe they just looked at the cost like you said and just said 
it's not worth it. Let's just pull the plug. But yeah, it's got to be some type of credit or some type of help to okay, let's help you move to something else. That it's that's not how Rackspace because- handled it. I can tell you that they, there was no help. It was you need to move. That's it. Yeah, they they have um they were over. So Rackspace was overwhelmed. We've got a client that was dealing with them. They were overwhelmed and just didn't have for like two months. It was very hard to get a hold of people to do anything. But it's funny because with Microsoft, I know they hated the fact that their Exchange server uh, code got leaked back in the SolarWinds hack. And it, that's caused a lot of problems, but it's been a boon for them, for them, because what have they done? They've moved everybody to 365. So mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. I mean, who, who's it been a boon for? I'm sorry. Who, who's for, just, for Microsoft. For Microsoft. Uh, Microsoft. Yeah. Well, Microsoft just killing off the exchange product in itself has been a boon for them, right? You get, you know, <clears throat> you know, it, it's, it's, that's a whole other conversation though. So, I mean, um, real quick. So while you guys, we'll move on to the next topic. I just wanted to try to look something up. Um, and I'll do that in a minute and we'll go back to this discussion, but, uh, pharma giant, uh, what's that? SI hit by ransomware. And then, uh, biopharma, uh, another article we got up here where biopharma confronts a rising tide of ransomware attacks. So, Randy, you want to read the Info Security Magazine and kind of fill everybody in on this uh, ESI who was hit by ransomware and what yeah, the impact sure. of a pharmaceutical company even being hit with ransomware could mean for the average yeah, me, person? Yeah, so Japanese pharmaceutical company ESI announced on Tuesday of uh, this week um, that the ESI group has fallen victim to a ransomware incident which occurred on Saturday, June 3rd, and encrypted some of its servers. So this is very, very fresh, um, less than uh, two weeks ago. As a result of the cyber attack, several systems, including logistics systems, have been temporarily taken taken offline. ESI's corporate websites and email systems remain operational, and the company is currently investigating the possibility of any data leakage. Any potential impact of this incident on the consolidated earnings forecast of this fiscal year is currently under careful examination. So what they've done there is they basically are trying to assuage their uh, their stockholders um, that they're looking at how this is going to affect earnings. Um, they wrote in a publication published on Tuesday, if determined that revisions are necessary, an announcement will be made as soon as possible. Once again, that's going to their financial Probably different laws in Japan over what's got to be talked about and when. In response to the cyber attack, they have swiftly established a company-wide task force, and they're working on recovery efforts with the guidance of external experts. They have also engaged law enforcement in the matter. No organization wishes to have ransomware incident occur within its infrastructure, but when it does, having a, ro- having a robust security incident response program with dedicated teams who fully understand their roles and responsibilities can ensure a quick return to operations. Run on sentence, commented James McQuiggan, Sir Security Awareness Advocate at No Before. Don't you, hate, don't you hate when they do that, Randy? Run on sentences. I hate that. They, they need to use GPT, help them out. Uh, right. But I think that last that last run on sentence was the most important part of that. Um, this whole article right. is like, 
when you have this uh, ransomware incident or you have some type of um, a breach or compromise, you don't want heads rolling everywhere. Nobody knows what they're assigned to do. Someone's calling, the secretary is giving the inside scoop. Like you have to have, um, for lack of better words, organized chaos. There needs to be where you know who you're calling. Are you calling your attorney? Are you disconnecting your networks? You're calling your cyber insurance company. Like there has to be that plan of, of knowing um, what to do in these type of scenarios. It's interesting to me because the other article that we have around this is, is biopharma confronts a rising tide of ransomware attacks. <laughs> um, so Asai announced, but then we also have Sun Pharmaceuticals. I mean, these are things that you guys are not hearing about. Sun Pharmaceuticals um, saw some of its files compromise in an attack in March. Novartis fell victim to uh, the same attack last year. AstraZeneca was targeted by hackers in 2020. Um, but number one, a lot of people probably don't realize the amount of uh, the supply chain that exists in this industry. All these small businesses that are getting hit in the pharmaceutical industry that you're not aware of. And the reason you're not hearing about a lot of this stuff is because a lot of these companies, in my opinion, in this particular industry are playing chicken uh, with doing the right thing and even having cyber insurance. Right. Because the profits are very high in this industry and the money is flowing like crazy. So, um, you know, as my business coach always says, profitability hides a lot of sins. So you can mm -hmm. be underfunding cybersecurity um, and you're super profitable because when you have a problem, you have enough reserves to bail yourself out of that situation with not much fanfare, but means you're paying the ransom, you're supporting criminals, you're supporting human trafficking, all these things that are tied to ransomware that we know about, that, that this is what ransomware funds, folks. It just doesn't go to yachts and boats and things like that. It funds other criminal activity. Um, so this is why, like, as a human uh, you don't want to be paying the ransom as your default cybersecurity um, pot or, or response, right? That you know that should be the last thing you should really have to consider, um, and it, and it's more a life or death for your business type of situation. Like it, it's it should be really considered in that realm because of all the all the criminal activity you're funding when you pay that. Like I know an organization and not a very big one. Um, that just, you know, they paid $7 million to these Russian hackers. Um, that's a lot of money for a ransomware attack. So um, what do you think about the, 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 uh, the biopharma being targeted now? Like this is kind of being called out in a lot of different places. And just for the pharmaceutical industry in general, um, I, I deal, I, I, work in, I work with clients in this industry. Um, I have a lot of concerns here because of what I see out there and the lack of, because they haven't been a target, there really hasn't been, um, any, any reason for them to be scared. I guess that's the way to, to put it at this point. Um, and, and I think they're going to learn a, a real big lesson here in the next 12 months if, if things continue to trend the way that they're trending in this industry. Right. Cause yeah, we I, have one. Good. No, no, go I was just going to say real quick, like we see this all the time, like an industry gets targeted and then it just explodes. Right. You know, we say, oh, look, hey, these municipal governments are getting hit or these schools are getting hit. And then this 
when we notice it, it, it just explodes from there because they figure out the modus operandi of that industry and they know what they can target and, and what, and what works. It, yeah. Um, and, uh, go ahead, Randy. Yeah. I'll go after you. Okay. I was going to say, um, we do have one client that uh, does pharmaceutical work and they do something with a cream. So they don't actually have any um, HIPAA regulations as it relates to making sure that they're protecting private, uh, you know, patients' information and so forth. So as Brian, as you were saying, they're kind of under that radar, uh, right? You can, all right, so yeah, but they're under the radar is what I was trying to say. And I'll, I hear, you hear some background noise, I'll get rid of that. Okay. Yeah, and I wanted to point out a couple things this article mentions. Um, one of them is the companies often have the protective software they need, um, but they often avoid fully enabling it for fear of disrupting their operations. Um, I know that one of our biggest angsts um, in our industry is pushback. Um, from from leaders who are af afraid of this very thing. So that's one thing I wanted to point out about this article. But then another thing I read, one of the attacks on AstraZeneca, the hackers posed as recruiters on a networking. Uh, they reported mm -hmm. as, I remember um, that. they posed as uh, recruiters from LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, and, and basically they sent them fake job offers to the employees at AstraZeneca with documents that had malware in them. Um, that's a... <laughs> So it's crazy. It's simple at the same time. It's great. I mean, that's a great example, but I, I got one this week. I was just absolutely floored and blown away by it. And you saying that reminded me of it. So I want to mention it because this is how, this is how good some of these cyber criminals are. So they wanted to attack a oil company, a certain oil company uh, in the oil industry. So what they did was they knew that this particular oil company was close to a particular Chinese restaurant. So the hackers infected the website of the Chinese restaurant with malware and were able to infiltrate this oil company as a result because they knew that these employees went to this Chinese restaurant often. And that, like, that's social engineering at its finest, yep. in my opinion, in the same lines that, that you said. So if they want to come after you, they'll research you. They'll figure out what you, you know, just like that. They'll figure out you, oh, you like to go to this, you know, small mom and pop Chinese restaurant. We could probably hack their website pretty easily. Right. And, and that's one way that they can get in. Um, so good, good stuff there, guys. Let's see what's up next. Uh, Massing fish, massive phishing campaign uses 6,000 uh, sites to impersonate 100 brands. Andre, you want to roll with this one or are you still muted? No? All right. Give me one second here. <laughs> Andre's been uh, muted. So we got a widespread brand impersonation campaign targeting over 100 popular apparel footwear and clothing brands has been underway since June of 2022. Tricking people into entering their account credentials, financial information on fake websites. Randy, this is not something that we don't see all the time, right? I mean, it this is, is like what we train time. on in right. our training and awareness is like, hey, right. just because it looks like it's legit, 
doesn't really mean it's legit. That's um, right. And it makes it more people more likely to click on it when it looks legit. Yep. And they're reporting uh, that the campaign had a significant activity spike between January and February of this year. And they, they basically added, they're adding 300 new fake sites monthly. So they're looking at legitimate large companies' websites. So let's say you get a legitimate email from, you know, Nike after you buy a set uh, uh, some Nike shoes, right? You get a legitimate email. What these guys are doing is they're looking at that email and they're saying, okay, let's make something very similar. Let's change the address to N-I-E-K instead of N-I-K-E or, you know, that's, you know, how they do this stuff. They just change one letter um, and, you know, yep. they try to make yep. it look exactly like from the email to the website that you go to. They, they want to make that feel seamless so you don't question anything. Um, and they figured out a methodology that is very good, that is very successful in tricking human beings, including your employees. This is why you need to make them aware of this stuff um, because right. they are coming at you hard. Um, and you know, it's funny. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I thought no, you were God, I was just going to say they're coming at you hard and you know, they're, they're not slowing down. They're, they're building massive amounts of these properties. So if they run the risk of one of them getting shut down, they have 299 others to go to. Well, that's the thing. So we heard from, uh, another cybersecurity expert probably a year ago that their software automatically blocks new domains. So if, if your email comes in and it's a new domain, it's going to automatically get quarantined. So cat and mouse game, once again, what have they done? They have, they have started registering these domains. You can, you can send out a few emails, maybe to your trusted network. The longer they sit in the inbox, the less likely they are to get flagged. And the longer that they've been around, um, people do that in marketing for good purposes all the time. It's called a warm-up period where you send out a few emails using your new domain. You send out a few emails to your trusted people that are out there that aren't going to report it, report it as spam. You don't get very markety in those emails. Maybe they're just helpful hints. Next thing you know, that, that time ban has passed. And so they've just figured out a way around this. They're looking at the long game where they're buying up these domains, they're warming them up, and then they can um, basically um, start using them to trick people. And along those same lines, so we use a cybersecurity uh, uh, a training company. They recently bought an old domain from a supply company. I won't go into the details. And they have been huge, effective, getting people to click on their phishing emails because you hover over it and it looks like a legit company. Um, and... <sighs> Short story long, people are falling for it. And so this is very, very, uh, it's a very good, good technique that they're using to get people to fall for stuff. And we're yeah. now seeing uh, security companies that do training are, are getting into the same game, basically, if you will. Yeah. So, you know, we talk about on the show, the cat and mouse game all the time, right? So um, this is another example of the cat and mouse game, right? Uh, and now you have Google involved, 
And Google's pretty good at, at like making sure that you're a legit business before you can run a Google ad. Um, but these guys have figured out a way to set up Google ads accounts. And, you know, you got Clark shoes here and this is highlighted because this is a phishing site. This is not a legit site. Mm -hmm. And this is also SEO. This is not uh, not ads. Oh, it's not Google Ads. Oh, you're right. Okay, uh, you're right. Yeah, you're, you're 100 right. It's not Google Ads. It's SEO. Damn. Um, you know, Google will eventually shut this down, right? But here's two things, and you got you and I are, are web and SEO guys, so we kind of know a little bit more than the average bear. So we'll probably we'll try to break it down for you. But yeah, they got this site ranked number one, right? And this is. This is potentially going to cause a lot of damage, but as soon as Google figures it out and it's a, it gets reported, it'll get delisted, right? But they know the formula to get this site back up to the top, right? So all they have to do is all they have to do is recreate this whole process on another domain. It may take them a few months, but I guarantee you the return on investment for the number of people that they compromise once this is ranked number one outweighs what they're spending and getting these sites ranked again. And I would also venture to say, Randy, that they're probably even looking at brands and companies and keywords that are easy to get to number one. Right. right. So if you're, if Clark's isn't doing anything around SEO and it's super easy to get ranked for that key term, that's a, that's a vulnerability in itself for businesses now. Right. Right. So call tech rescue for SEO services. So you don't, your site doesn't get spoofed. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the crazy thing is these sites aren't just little crappy sites. They are, um, they're building them out to be realistic, um, including lots of details um, just to make it. Maybe you hover over a link and, you know, like you're trained to do and you see, um, Clark South Africa.co.za pops up. So you go to your browser and you enter it in as you're trained to do. You enter it in manually. It brings up this website and you're seeing nice pictures. You're seeing a nice hero image. The about us page has got, you know, emails that have the same extension that you're hovering over. Um, they're just doing it. They're doing it very well um, to trick people. So this, this, this is a, I think, the tip of an iceberg here. Um, Definitely, this is this, this is, is the some, next. This is some, yeah, this is some new stuff. I, I mean, I've seen similar stuff, but um, Andre, welcome back. What are your thoughts on this? This is pretty wild, man. Like creating sites and getting them ranked number one on Google to nail to get people compromised. Oh, you're muted. You're, I can't hear anybody. We. We mentioned on one of our podcasts probably a year ago um, where we saw some early indications of this. Yeah. Um, there are services out there right now as we speak that you can subscribe to um, mm -hmm. that'll find expired domains. And that's oh, yeah. what we were looking at um, yeah. about a year ago, finding expired domains, which already have authority and yep. using those. And then this one is really, you know, I'm into uh, learning how to market better groups. And mm -hmm. we literally talk like you hear it almost every week. You hear somebody talk about warming up a domain. That's all these people have learned how to do. They've learned how to warm up a domain to where it gets past the, uh, the security. But 
once they start putting malware out there, they will get flagged and those domains won't be any good. But if you look in the article, it says they have several hundred. Um, looks like they're adding about 300 new websites a month um, that they're adding to uh, to this. So Yeah, and this is just one group. And then when right. other people catch on, and then there's a whole other group of people out there who are doing a little bit different spin on this whole thing where they're creating domains like on the fly, right? Yes. Where, so like, you know, they can't even be tracked. They can't even... That's why, like, at my company and what we yeah. recommend other companies, and we get a lot of pushback on this. But, like, here, if the website isn't rated, it's not showing up in your browser. Like, if we don't know what it is, we are not allowing it to load. And that annoys some of our customers because they don't understand, like, you know, we understand, like, it's a good idea for that because, you know, for the exact right. reasons we're talking about here. But we, it's an education process to really understand and get people to accept the fact that like a website that we don't know, that's ca not categorized that we don't know if it's running malware or if it's a business website, it's just better to have that block. Now you can submit a request to have that unblocked and a human being can go look at it and there's a process to get it eventually trusted. Um, but by default, like I, I just, I would recommend to anybody if you have the ability to do some content control and, yeah, you know, block websites based on category and and block websites that are not categorized pretty smart idea that that'll stop it, a lot of this it is but i would say it's only going to be good for like the next three months because they're going to catch on to that and they'll they'll just go and take like clarksouthafrica.co.za they're just going to take that and categorize it um they, they may even be hiring like a real web company to build these things um who builds that in you know um i was gonna say to people out there right now there's a ton of people in the world that are frustrated with google workspace they're frustrated with 365 because all of their emails that have never been going to spam that have never been going to a quarantine are are going um was talking with a ceo last night he joked that all of his emails are going to quarantine and what we're seeing is a reaction and they really aren't, but what we're seeing is a reaction to how bad it's getting out there. I think that personally, I think Microsoft and Google, this, this is going to sound very cliche. Um, but I think personally they're, they're on the extremely worried side because you have stuff like this popping up, which makes it really hard to catch. You've got ChatGPT coming in, which makes it really hard to catch. You're going to be seeing ChatGPT uh, versions that are going to be um, bringing all, consolidating all the data that's on the dark web, building profiles for people. Um, and it seems to me right now that that Google and Microsoft are in over freakout mode. And they're overreacting to a lot of this stuff because it's uh, it's messed up. So that's my two cents on that. Um, we're seeing a lot of frustration out there with people that are um, seeing a lot of their stuff go, go into quarantine. And we talk about this. I just think it's going to get worse. Um, so what's the answer? You know, um, like right now, every single link that comes in on an email to every one of our customers that are cybersecurity clients, those links are opened up in a 
They're opened up in a, in a sandbox. You know, you got a little time. You got to wait for a second while they open up. But these won't get stopped. If, it come, if it's coming from ClarkSouthAfrica.co.za, it's not going to get stopped. It'll open up. It'll see that it's a that it's fine, and it's going to allow you to keep doing your thing. So very interesting. So uh, moving right along, CISA issued this year's first uh, operational binding directive ordering federal civilian agencies to secure misconfigured or internet exposed network equipment within 14 days of discovery. So as soon as I read that, my first thought is, is okay, what happens after 14 days, right? So basically this is reading through this real quick because I got to drop in like 12 minutes. Um, basically it's two things. One is if CISA identifies a vulnerability or if you're independently notified or you independently find it on your own, you have 14 days to basically do one of two things, get it off the internet or implement some kind of zero trust around it. So it's protected and you know, who's connecting to it. The interesting thing to me is, and the first question I asked when I read that sentence is, okay, what happens if you don't? Okay. So what happens if you don't, right? This says that CISA A is going to conduct scans to identify devices and interfaces falling within the directive scope and notify the agencies of its findings. Um, and then the CISA will provide these federal agencies with technical expertise when needed or requested to review the status of specific devices and provide guidance on securing devices. So they're going to come in and it sounds like try to help uh, these companies or the, or these agencies get these devices uh, secured again. Um, so interesting. Um, I mean, I, I'm glad that they're taking a step in this direction that they're going to, you know, they're, they're using CISA to protect other federal agencies. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, this is a government government thing, right? We need something like this to hit businesses. Right. I mean, the, I guess it's, um, it's significant because it's a binding directive which we haven't had, we have had those, but they are relatively new. Um, and it is, um, we've done on this show. So when we first talked about move it, which is uh, something we may get to today, we may not because that's in the news again. What we looked on, um, on that internet of, of device searches, uh, search engine showdown. And what were there like 20,000, uh, yeah. servers that were out there that had unpatched yeah. command and control that you could have taken over. Um, so, so while, while you're on that thought real quick, right. I just want to show you that I search for those Barracuda devices again. Exactly. There's over 9,000 out there and exactly. And a third of them are in the U S right. And the other, and there's over, over a thousand in China. So why why this is good from the government is that it's binding, and hopefully they'll shore up their ports that are open. Oh, they just already reading, have software running that's just reading down the list, port. right? Hey, Ocean yes. County Library, get your get this off your network. Um, Curry College, get this off your network. Uh, Commonwealth Technology Group, you might want to get that off your network. Uh, I'm just going to go to the next page and I'm going to stop. But literally, like, this is how easy it is 
for a hacker to figure out if you have this stuff out there and start going after you, right? Um, CKTCEDU, take me five seconds to figure out who this is. Um, that uh, WAE Engineering, get that off the, the internet. Uh, Dakota Tube, you're another one. Um, you know, I could keep going there. I could go down this list all day long and tell companies like, you got this out there. You need to get rid of it. Right. Crazy, it's, right? Uh, it is. It is a smorgasbord of a shopping trip for a hacker. They just they just have to pick a vertical. Um, they have to pick, and by by vertical, I don't necessarily mean industry, but which vulnerability they're going to go. They're right. going to go after. You right. know what I mean? Right. And this um, one just came out. So it's going to take a couple of weeks before we hear, oh, this company got hit because of this vulnerability because they never removed this device. Just like moving right along, we're seeing with this move it vulnerability, which is absolutely destroying companies. So um, we got and, about seven, eight minutes left, but go ahead. Well, before we go to that, I want to add yep. 60, 60 seconds. Go ahead. Um, a security company recently put um, remote desktop opened it on the internet, which we no know way. is a vulnerability. And that would be something that CISA would say close to these government right. agencies. They had three and a half million attempts to log in um, mm -hmm. in a very short, short amount oh, yeah. of time. So, I think, I think, I think I saw a researcher do something with a bunch like he would just set up honeypot RDP servers. He just throw them out there. The average time for them to be accessed and hacked. And again, these are not secured very well at all you know, easy password to crack, all that stuff, right? You know, basically inviting the person in. It was 36 minutes from the time that thing went live to when the first attacker went into the system. 36 minutes to get yeah. into a machine. Yes. It's and like out of the box, most of the machines that are running RDP don't have any kind of limitation on the number of login attempts. No. Um, so 20 to 30,000 a day, uh, up to 40,000 a day they saw. So just just a little tangent back to the move it thing that you started to mention. Yeah, yeah move it. Um, so this is this software developed by Progress Software Corporation, otherwise known as IP switch. So this oh is a gosh. file transfer software, right? I didn't realize they were IP file, switch. Yeah, file transfer softwares are used very heavily in financial service industry, right? They still move uh, information when you're, when money's moved in the financial world, it more than likely involves FTP. It's, and when that's wild to me, right? Or it's really SSH. It's the secure version of, of, F, of FTP. Um, but still, at the end of the day, they're really using a very, very old technology to move this stuff. And quite frankly, there are a lot better ways to move this stuff. It's just the systems were built around this technology. And it's really hard for these financial services companies to do these things because the movement of money needs to happen quickly you know, because of regulations and things like that. And people just expect when I hit transfer, or when I buy a stock or an equity, I expect it to be instantaneous. And that's how these systems were built on the back end to move this stuff and to make these transactions happen. So that's just, you know, the world we live in today. It's going to take a lot for us to move away from that. But move it, it has a vulnerability. 
And hackers are just having a field day with it. There are massive amounts of companies being hacked because they use IP switch and they have it out there exposed to the internet because for it to work, it has to be exposed to the internet. And while they try to, you know, I've seen some places where they, you know, they, they block by IP or they, they do kind of zero trust mm-hmm. um, by IP. IPs can be spoofed, right? If, if, I, if I can figure out somebody's IP, which can easily be done by sending you an email and you replying to me, um, you know, I, you then I know. actually you, preview it. Right. And, and you have a pixel in there. Your pixel will give away your IP. Right. And then I can just spoof your IP and say, oh, can I connect to this thing from this IP? Oh, boom, I'm in. Right. So crazy. Right. I don't I don't how many uh, companies have been hit so far with the move. It? I don't know exactly. And I don't know. Um, there were there were a ton of big names that were hit. So um, Zealous is a payroll provider. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. They're a big one. They were the, uh, the first ones actually disclosed the uh, breach in 2023. And we know what happened with Kronos. So this is you know probably going to be a similar thing. I mean, I heard I heard somebody the other day who their company used Kronos. And this is wild, Randy. Their company used Kronos. Kronos gave them a spreadsheet to do payroll after they got hit with ransomware. Um, and they literally had to hand out cash in their break room to their employees yeah. to pay them. It's it like why? Like, because there was no incident response plan. There was no there, for that business, right? And that's what we talk about. I know we're, we're, we're talking about some pretty deep stuff here, but evaluating the risk that your third parties introduce in your business, like being unable to process payroll because they're down, being unable to get to your email because Rackspace got hit with ransomware. Companies need to start looking at this stuff because it's you're going to be impacted one day. Your business may survive the next hundred years without getting ransomware, without having a, biz, a significant business email compromise. But I guarantee you, one of your partners will impact your business along the way here, right? You may do a great job and you, you may never get hit, right? But your partners will absolutely get hit and you will absolutely be impacted by this in some way, shape or form. And that's what we're seeing with this move it. A lot yeah. of financial services companies are going to be impacted by this. Right. Um, so um, related news to that, CISA's ordered um, agencies to patch it. Um, to patch move it. Um, they've given them until June 23rd to uh, to do it. The crazy thing is, you know, a lot of the stuff that's in the news is just from last month. Yep. But this is something that we've been talking about for several months. It's been known since last November that it was a vulnerability. Currently, um, there are, I think I read in the first article or the second article, there's still a couple of thousand that are showing up in um, Shodan searches that are not patched yet. Um, so they're obviously not watching our show. They're not keeping up with the news. Um, they don't know that this is out there and they're basically sitting ducks. Um, yeah, so, because- and just, just so everyone's clear with this move it thing, there's no ransomware here. The data is being stolen and they're extorting these companies to not release it. And yeah, these companies it, are noticing and and are are negotiating with these guys. Um, this is a lot of financial information that could potentially be re- 
you know, released people's salaries. You know, you're talking about zealous, you know, people's salaries, you know, and, and we don't know who their customers are. It could be some, you know, pretty interesting information in there that they don't want to get public. Right. Yeah. Um, good. Well, I just, I remember the move it real quick. The move it vulnerability gave them admin access. Yes. So, I think it was local admin access, but once you're on a server and have local admin access, you can just watch and learn and hang tight for a little bit and get pretty much everything you need. Basically live off the land, if you will. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just wild. So just wrapping up here, I got to, I got to run. Um, Verizon came out with their, their data breach report. And I got to say, um, this is one of those reports that, um, you know, maybe we'll talk about it on the next show in more detail, but quite frankly, um, I hate this report. Um, I think it's a horrible report. I think that they, um, minimize impacts significantly. Um, they're basically saying that, um, the median cost of ransomware per incident more than doubled over the past two years to $26,000. Randy, you know, that most people, that number is so low. It's not even it's like that is there, there's no, there's no event that it'll cost you $26,000 a day. Yeah. I mean, your business, exactly. unless you're like doing $5,000 a day in revenue, if you're doing anywhere north of $5 million a year in revenue, that number does not represent your business. I don't even know where they're pulling this number. Now, I respect some of the companies that were involved in creating this report, but I've gone through the initial data. And quite frankly, this report really understates what's really going on out there to like the hundredth degree. That's my thought process on this. And, that, and that's dangerous because if I was a CEO not fully aware of cybersecurity and I read... $26,000 an incident. I'm just going to just going to quote unquote lay low using that word. That must be the term for today. I'm going to lay low and just have the $26 if $26,000 if I need to pay it. I mean, yeah, like the data is so skewed. It's not even funny because it goes like one of the takeaways is it doubled over the past two years to 26,000, but 95% of the incidents that were experienced caused a loss between 1 million and 2 0.25 million. So how is that number being skewed to 26,000? That's a lot know. of, there must be a lot of small businesses that are paying 50, 70, a hundred thousand. Or, or it's people responding to it and saying, Oh yeah, we paid a ransom of $50,000 and, but they're not, you know, considering the other costs that happen to the business. I don't wow. know. And it would have to be a really small business for it to be $50,000. Just want to throw that it's out. It's got to be a typo because the, it's not a typo. I read the report. Right. But like it's, the average credential attack costs like $385,000. Like, I don't know. No. I, I it's, it's really scary because CFOs will look at that number and latch onto that like crazy and be like, Oh, my risk is only $26,000. I don't even, I don't need to even need to invest in cybersecurity. That's exactly. the problem with that's this. report. Saying. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. If I was a CEO, 
just make sure I got $26,000 on hand, $26,000 in insurance. <clears throat> yeah. So, all right, brother, Andre had internet issues. He had to drop. So thank you for carrying the show with me. Andre will be back in full force next week. I'm sure. We'll see everyone next if week. If not, we're going to go to Florida and help them with the internet problem. There we go. Hey, DeSantis, get on that internet problem in Florida, right? Exactly. All right. See ya. Talk to you next week.